Our text for this morning is 2 Samuel 23. You're welcome to turn there if you want. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. And when you get to 2 Samuel 23, whether it's now or later, and you read the very first line of 2 Samuel 23, you'll read that it says, the last words of King David. Now, you may go, well, wait a second, there's still 2 Samuel 24 yet, plus 1 Kings 1 and 1 Kings 2, and you'll realize these aren't the last words of King David, meaning the last words he ever spoke. So what are they? Well, what they appear to be are the last official words of King David. In other words, basically David gets to the end of his life and wants to make an official statement about what has meant the most to him in ministry, in life, in being a king, and what 2 Samuel 23 verses 1 through 7 contain is sort of David's last official public words about his record as king. And so as I was studying through this text and looking at it and thinking, you know, how, how interesting would it be to be able to sit down with King David and to ask him to reflect back on his life as king? I mean, we've been studying him here for many weeks and months at Calvary, and we've seen him from uh, just his humble beginnings, becoming king, all the trials and tribulations he's been through. And as we near the end of his story and we think how much we've gotten to know him, wouldn't it be great to sit down and actually just interview King David and ask him, what do you think about your kingship and your life? Well, as we prayed about it and thought about it, we thought, well, why not? Why not try to make that happen? So we thought, okay, well, this morning we're going to try to do an interview with King David. I'm going to try to play the role of King David. And Tom was gracious enough to play the role of the interviewer. So in just a moment, we're going to have an interview. Now we thought, what format, like what interview format would King David go on? We tried first Conan, but that didn't, it didn't quite seem to work very well. So what we settled on is Charlie Rose. Have you ever seen the Charlie Rose show? That's sort of what we're going for. And we're going to try to do an interview with King David. King David. King David was the premier king in Israel's history. Under his leadership, the nation of Israel became a dominant player in the ancient Near East. He's recognized as one of the greatest kings, not only in Israel's history, but in the history of the world. Not only that, but God has given to David something that no other human has ever been able to achieve, though many have tried. God gave to David an eternal kingdom. From his line came the Messiah of the whole world, Jesus Christ. In addition to these great accomplishments as king, David wrote a majority of the Psalms in the Bible, words that give feeling and meaning to our most heartfelt interactions with God. King David, it's a pleasure to have you here with us this morning, and you are not an ordinary interview. 
And I am sure that our listeners, that our viewers, are going to be very interested in what you have to say. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. One question right off the bat. In light of all that has been done for you, and in light of all that you have accomplished, what is it that you would say is your secret to success as a leader? When I was a young man, very early on, just beginning in sort of leadership responsibilities, the Lord God himself gave me an oracle, a word from him. What he said to me was, when one rules over men in righteousness, when one rules in the fear of God, he is like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning. He is like the brightness after the rain that brings grass from the earth. I've never forgotten those words. That's been the essence of what I've tried to do. That's been, as I think about what it means to be a leader, it's that that I've tried to do. Asaph, who is my chief musician, he once said about me that David shepherded with integrity of heart and skillfulness of hands. I like that. In my day, too many people think that all that matters is skillfulness of hands, how well you wield a sword, how good you are at being king, uh, how well you can judge and discern in different cases and how well you lead. And don't get me wrong, that's all important. But that's not what is the most important. What the most important is, is the integrity of heart. That's what I think God meant when he said to me all those years ago, when a man rules in righteousness, it's the integrity of heart. That's why I love that Asaph put that first. That comes before skillfulness of hands. And if I had to look back and say, what was the key to my success in being king? It was that I listened when the Lord said, rule over men in righteousness. Those who do the right thing in leadership, whether they're leading a few small sheep or a great kingdom, God will bless those who do what is righteous. And from the beginning until the end, I've stuck with that. But doing the right thing is often difficult, isn't it? You, we always, don't always know what the right thing is. And how do you make yourself do the right thing, take the right course of action when that course of action, when that right thing is, is, is hard to do? Well, that's why what was so important is that this word that God gave to me, literally an oracle that he, he spoke to me, the second part of that, not only rule over men in righteousness, he says, when a man rules in the fear of God, and over my, my long career, I've discovered that's the key. The fear of, the God, fear of God is the key to the whole thing. That's what motivates you to do the right thing. It's not enough simply to know to rule in righteousness. You have to be motivated to do the right thing. And it's the fear of God that does that. The other day I was looking back through some of the poetry that I had written as I'm reflecting back on, on many years of God walking with me. I, I read through some of the poems and I was amazed at just how often this theme or this idea of the fear of God kept coming out. I wrote some of those down. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The Lord instructs those who fear him in the way chosen for them. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. God stores up goodness for those who fear him. He provides food for those who fear him. Those who fear God lack nothing. The eyes of the Lord are always on those who fear him. The Lord confides in those who fear him. God has compassion on those who fear him. The Lord's love is with those who fear him. The man who fears the Lord is blessed in all he does. The Lord delights in those who fear him. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. You know, in fact, I was surprised at just how often this came up. 
But as I reflect back, it's no surprise. Those words God gave me, the fear of God, to lead people in the fear of God, it's the essence of leadership. It always has been, it always will be. It doesn't matter what kind of leader you are. If you fear the Lord, you will do the right thing. But this, this concept of fear of God is not something that our culture today resonates with very well. well. Would you tell us more about it? What does it look like? What does it mean? What does it look like to fear God? Well, I'm probably not the one to define it. Maybe you should have Moses on your show. He probably would be good at defining it. But I can tell you what it looks like. To me, a man who fears the Lord realizes that God is a righteous judge that he gives out his wrath every day. Some people think his wrath is simply stored up until the end. That's not true. He is a righteous judge who pours out his wrath every day, which means that if you disobey God, he disciplines you and it hurts. The Lord opposes the proud. He hates iniquity. The man who fears the Lord realizes that God, God is serious about what we do, that he watches our actions, that he loves it when we obey and he's angry when we disobey. The man who fears the Lord loves God's word. It is a treasure to him. He meditates on it day and night. The man who fears the Lord is constantly reading God's word. He wants to obey God's word. God's word is a lamp to his feet and a light to his path. He looks to God's word for wisdom and guidance. The man who fears the Lord, God's word is his greatest treasure. It is, it's more precious than gold than, than anything in the world is the word of God. The man who fears the Lord he waits for God. He puts his hope in him, not in horses or in chariots or in the size of his army. The man who fears the Lord, God's his only hope. God's his only rescue. I remember when I was on the run from my son Absalom. Everybody was, everybody was against me. The whole kingdom had turned. Now, I realized I had made some mistakes in parenting Absalom. I realized that, but... I knew that the Lord would not leave me. I knew that the Lord would not. I could trust in his unfailing love. What other hope did I have? Where else could I turn? And he showed up. He came and he rescued me. <clears throat> he brought me the most amazing salvation. And the man who fears God, he can't stop rejoicing in God's salvation. If I could just tell you of all the ways, so many different ways God has rescued me. He's been so kind to me. He's given me so much to, I mean, look at me. Who am I that I should be the king of Israel? I came from a know-nothing family. You don't know what it was like. I was the youngest child. I was completely ignored. No one had any time for me whatsoever. And here I am, the king of Israel. It's God who does that. And the man who fears God can't help but talk about him constantly, to think about him, to be all, he's always on his mind. It sounds like to fear God is to be totally consumed by God, to put God at the center of everything. It is. That's, that's a great way to put it. The man who fears the Lord is, is, is totally consumed and is passionate about God. In my day, very few people actually truly fear God. They say they do, but many people don't. Joab, the ruler of, or the, the leader of my armies, he doesn't really fear the Lord. He's more concerned about what's expedient, what's going to work. He doesn't care what God thinks of his actions. Saul, the man who was king before me, a tragic king. He had so much promise and so much potential, but he didn't fear the Lord. He was more concerned with what other people thought of him than what God thought of him. Doag, he was the chief shepherd when I worked for Saul. 
He didn't fear God. To him, God was a, he was a means for climbing the political ladder. He was just something you talked about to try to get ahead. Even Michael, my first wife, she unfortunately didn't fear the Lord either. She thought God was just some sort of safe, comfortable, nice thing that you put in a box like a decoration at home. But he's not. He's the most, he's the most beautiful, amazing. He's, it's, he's, he's, he's incredible. He's just unbelievable. He's, he's indescribable. But th- that sounds like loving God. What's the difference between fearing God and loving God? Um, I'm sorry, I don't understand the question. Well, you, you said the key to your success in your life and the key to your success in leadership is fearing God. But the law says that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. So why don't you talk more about loving God? Well, I do. It's all over the poems that I've written. I, I love the Lord. I, I love his word. I, I, I love his sanctuary. I love his people. I, I love his salvation. It's, it's just that fearing God and loving God, that's, they're the same thing. To love the Lord is to fear him. And to fear the Lord is to love him. Perhaps the reason why I talk about fear of God much more than I talk about love for God is because in my day, everybody says they love God. But to fear him, that's the reminder that I have to obey him. To be a leader, and and we're talking here about what does it mean to be a leader. It's not enough simply to say that you love God. You must actually rule over men in righteousness. And the thing that motivates you to always do the right thing, even when it hurts, is fear of God. And so to me, I, I think much more of it in terms of fearing God is that I love him, but I must obey him. Well, that brings up a difficult question, a question that I, I feel like I have to ask. You say that the person who fears God obeys him and that the guiding principle of your leadership was ruling over others in righteousness. But you personally haven't always obeyed God. There have been a few specific events in your life in which you haven't ruled in righteousness. In fact, there have been a few things, and especially where some would say you even did wicked things. So how would you respond to that? Yes. The man who fears the Lord doesn't always do the right thing. No one does. I have indeed sinned. I have done what is evil in the eyes of the Lord. I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. But the man who fears God knows that when God's hand is heavy upon him because of his sin, that at the same time God's forgiveness is waiting in the wings. I chose the pleasures of sin for a season because I forgot to fear God. But it was the fear of God that rescued me from that. It was when God showed up and said that I was on a pathway towards death. That's what rescued me from the, from the life of sin that I had chosen. Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. Blessed is the man whose transgressions are covered. My house is right with the Lord. You've been quite passionate about that fearing God, fearing the Lord is the key to your success, to everything that has happened positively in your life. How does someone get to the point of fearing the Lord? What would you say to someone 
who wants to fear the Lord but isn't quite there yet. When I was a young man, on the battlefield between the Israelites and the Philistines, there was this great battle. Of course, you've heard of it. The Philistines had a champion. His name was Goliath. I was too young to be in the army. I was simply there as an observer. But I remember, and I'll never forget, as I'm standing on the battlefield and I'm looking out over what is what is happening on the battlefield, I, I see the Israelites and I see the Philistines and I'm listening to Goliath and he's spitting out the most vulgar and profane things you've ever heard. And I'm wondering to myself, why doesn't somebody do something about this? Why doesn't somebody make him shut his mouth? And then I realized why. It's because as I looked at the Israelites, as I looked at my people, they couldn't see the most important thing on the battlefield. They were all too busy looking at other things. Some of them were looking at Goliath and how big he was and how strong he was. Some of them were looking at themselves and how little armor they had and how weak they seemed. Some, like Saul, were looking at money, trying to find a way, how can I buy a solution to this problem? And they missed the most important thing on that battlefield. I could see it, not with my physical eyes, but with the eyes of my heart, big as life, plain as day, right in the middle of that battlefield was the Lord Almighty. And I saw him there and I could see with the eyes of my heart, I could see his anger at what Goliath was saying. I could see the compassion in his face for our people as we were suffering this oppression from the Philistines. I could see this longing in his eyes for somebody to do something. And I could almost hear his voice whispering in my heart, trust me, I'll be with you. Don't be afraid. And I saw that he wanted to strike Goliath down. And when I saw God, Goliath, he looked like a tiny speck next to him. And suddenly I wasn't afraid of Goliath anymore. I was now afraid of God. I was afraid, what's going to happen if I don't obey? I was afraid, what am I going to miss out on if I don't listen to his voice? Too many people don't fear the Lord because they don't see him. They're busy looking at everything else under the sun. They're, they're distracted. But the person who sees the Lord, who sees his power, his goodness, his generosity, who can find God in any situation, all you have to do is look at God and to see him and you will fear him. So when God said to me all those years ago, when one rules over men in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, I determined I wanted to be that man, that man who feared the Lord. And so I began to say a prayer. It's a prayer I pray regularly. It goes like this. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart so that I may fear your name. How did I get to be the point, to get to the place where I fear the Lord? I don't know. How does somebody else get to that point? I don't know. But I do know it's a gift from God. And I began to pray and ask God, teach me to fear your name. And as I look back now over many years, great victories, some pitfalls that I stepped in, other things that have happened, if I was going to summarize it all in one idea, fear the Lord. King David, thank you very much. We could talk for hours. Thank you for your time and for your wisdom. You're welcome.
It is amazing in 2 Samuel 23, when David is asked to look back on his life, there's really only one thing he wants to say. Fear the Lord. And the question for you and the question for me is do we really fear God? Do we genuinely, honestly, truly fear the Lord? David thinks that's the essence of what it means to be a leader. That's the essence of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, is to fear God. Let's pray together. Lord God Almighty, it is our desire that we would fear your name. Lord, it's true that the era in which we live, we don't like to think about fear. But God, you have given to us in your word these instructions. Lord, I'm amazed that David spends so much time talking about the fear of God. God, I want to fear your name the way David does. Lord, we want to be a church that fears your name. Lord, we thank you that, you're, that, that, that to be afraid of you is to love you and to love you is to fear you, that these work together, that this is not an abusive situation. But God, sometimes I'm afraid we have swung the pendulum too far the other way, that we think only about love and we think about your kindness and your goodness, which are so true, Lord, and we love you for it and we thank you. But God, you are a God that must be obeyed. And God, I pray that right now, I don't know, Lord, how someone becomes a person who fears you, but I do know, Lord, that you hear our prayers and you respond. And God, we want to be a church that, like David, prays for you to give us the fear of your name. Lord, would you do that? Would you do that for those who are here this morning, some who've come here, Lord God, who, whose lives are a mess? And need to know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and that you will instruct them in the way they need to go through fearing your name. God, there are those who've come here today, Lord, who specifically need to understand what it means to fear your name because they've been given a huge task of leadership or they've been given something that they're required to do. Lord, help them to understand what it means to fear you. Give them that gift, Lord. I pray that for myself. Thank you, Lord, for your word. May your spirit apply it to our hearts as you see fit. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.